Welcome to Inside Parliament and we're all back. Finally, it's been a while. This is a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. We're coming to you from the legendary Beehive studio here at Parliament. Corinne Dan, Andrea Vance and myself, Welcome. Katie Bradford, all of us back here together. Uh, so uh, it's been a bit of a strange couple of weeks for the Prime Minister away Foreign away with yes. her overseas. Uh, it's felt like quite a long time. That it was trip. a long time away, a week away. Um, yeah, what do we? Th- it was a pretty good first up effort, I suppose. She she definitely made some mistakes, but she put her certainly put her neck out and had a bit of a crack. And I think she'd be pretty happy with how it ended in the ended up. Talk through the mistakes. Well, they weren't big ones, but she she um, the TPP generally went fairly well for them, I think, and that they took that pragmatic stance. It looked a bit shaky for a while, Canada pulling out, and they, they went pretty hard criticising Canada, which raised a few eyebrows amongst the Canadian press and the Canadian government when they Canadians had pulled out, but then mm. they came back and they got this new deal, and I think the government, I think um, uh, Labor's fairly happy with how things have landed on that. David Parker did a pretty good job. They got some concessions, they got a few little wins, they got the deal across the line and they'll eventually sign it looks like albeit with some criticism from people here um, the area of concern was the Manus Island mm, and her yeah. push on that she went really hard on that and it came on the at the end of the APEC meeting on the Sunday she made like one little comment about having a substantive meeting with um, Malcolm Turnbull that she wanted him, and she's also talked about it being unacceptable what was going on at Manus now she's clarified that it wasn't. She wasn't saying that the Australian government was being unacceptable, but what was happening to those people there was. But that got interpreted as her sort of, you know, wanting to have a big sit-down showdown type meeting with mm-hmm. Turnbull at the following summit in Philippines. And then she didn't really get that, so she sort of boxed herself into a corner there. And then she said the next day, "Oh well, we got a meeting in passing." And so it was all about the language, and then everyone was like, oh, well, you're the passing, that's not a substantive meeting, you've been snubbed, and there was headlines about being snubbed and all yeah. that sort of thing. And then she was scrambling to make sure that she could then say, well, I, actually, I got my meeting with uh, Malcolm Turnbull, and we've offered up $3 million. But that, but what happened in the middle was that the Aussies pushed back really hard. As they would. Really they would hard. I mean, they basically, say- somebody leaked a story from the security intelligence agencies that mm. four boats had come to New Zealand or were on their way oh, to New Zealand, and they turned them Zealand. around, and, yeah. which is old news in some ways, but mm. the timing of this leak was like, hello. I think it was all learning stuff for her. But she was learning that precision of words is very important when you're in a fluid situation like Absolutely. that. Absolutely, and the, and she got the diplomatic language wrong. But fair play to her. I mean, she did stand oh, up on brave. a very, very important yep. issue, and she did take Australia to task for it, yep. quite quite rightly. And so think, it's about time someone stood I, up to yeah, Australia. Yeah, I think people want to see us standing up to Australia. We've had a few years now where people have felt like we're being bullied by our big brothers, and we haven't, we're too scared to say oh, anything to this, them. This is interesting that you guys... It's interesting, because I came back... From um, from there, uh, from and, and a lot of commentary in the papers uh, in New Zealand was very like, oh, you shouldn't be telling Australia what to do. Why do not? Do you realise I mean, how what dangerous this could be well, for the relationship? But the relationship, the relationship is isn't in a great place at the moment, right. is it? I mean, Australia doesn't makes policy decisions. It's not really interested in what New Zealand thinks. It's yeah. an afterthought, and they pay lip service when they have their you know yearly catch up or their the odd press press conference. They they um, you know have platitudes, but New Zealand's not a factor, and so this is a, this is a key issue for Labour. They have talked about yep. Manaus Island and the refugees on a you know on a number of occasions. They criticised National for not doing enough. So this was their chance to stand up on on the actual and world. And it puts a very stage. clear stake in the ground about what the type of prime minister she wants to be. She's going to try and be principled as she can. Mm. It's, it's just that it's very difficult but just to hold those sorts of positions all the time in the in the 
you know, in that world. But pick world. your battles. This pick is battles, such yeah. an important yeah, yeah, yeah. issue. Point. And New Zealand has yep. s- has let, in terms of solving the refugee crisis that's swept the world in the last few years, New Zealand has really let the side down. It hasn't done enough. No, we don't and take anywhere near the number Australia do per capita, Absolutely. For so for her to stand up, as I say, at APEC and at the EAS and, and actually make a stand on it, yeah, she got the diplomatic language wrong and, she, yeah, she's probably pissed off Malcolm Turnbull, but in the grand scheme of things... And, yeah. Peter, and Peter Duff in his comments last week were very clear that this was that, that there was the potential to damage the relationship with Australia uh, uh, at the end of last week when he talked about whether New Zealand went away. And imagine and if, and imagine if, um, if Turnbull, Turnbull's in trouble, right? Mm. Turnbull's yes, in looking if he shit. goes... It'll be Dutton or Bishop that takes over mm, and yeah. it'll be way worse in terms of that building that relationship Or if Abbott manages to make his way back as he's sitting there sniping in the background. Yeah, but the other thing know. was climate change. She, she, she made a point of her one speech at APEC was climate change. She's been very strong in her rhetoric about that. New Zealand is now to be a leader rather than that sort of middling follower that Key sort of had us, you know? Rhetoric, though. Rhetoric. I, it's, I, d- it does not translate in the policies. No, no, I completely agree. It is rhetoric. And that her challenge is going to be, can she deliver on that with things that might mean that, say, average Kiwis pay more for something, you know, or, you know, or, that, or that some sectors have to suddenly start paying more. And can she get more. it across the line with Winston Peters in yeah. New Zealand first? So uh, that'll be a big test. I mean, she's made it, the um, nuclear issue. And mm. I noticed um, Greenpeace was running... Um, uh, little memes on online with quotes from here about climate change, saying that they should be turning back the oil boats coming down here this summer, you know. And so she's put it. She's she, there's an expectation from those environmental groups and from you know certain New Zealanders that she has to deliver on that climate change pledge, and that's not going to be easy. No. Uh, while you've been away, um, there's been. A- a lot more, I get, there's starting to be more tension on what the new government's actually going to do. And they keep saying, oh, well, you know, we've only been in the job for three weeks. But they made a lot of promises in opposition and they made a lot of promises about what they're going to do in their first 100 days. Mm. And I think now they are finding it's actually a lot harder than that. Uh, housing is one of those big issues. Let's have a look at my track from the weekend on that. The pressure on housing in the capital's getting worse by the day. It actually impacts across all ranges of our socio-economic um, population, whether you're in the, the high or the low decile. There are 268 people waiting for a state house in Wellington, the highest since 2014. We're noticing there are some new faces on the streets and a number of them have um, actually stated that they've come from Auckland or outlying areas. And the numbers are also climbing in Hastings and Napier. Communities large and small are feeling the stress and dealing with homelessness, homelessness that we never ever used to see in New Zealand. Across the country, there are more than 7,300 people waiting for a house or to be transferred to another. That's 550 more than at the end of June and a 27% increase on the same time last year. We can build our way out of this housing crisis. The new housing minister is promising to build 2,000 extra state houses, but details of how he'll do that are sparse. I would like us, if we can, to increase the number of state houses by a net 2,000 every year. There are also nearly 1,300 state houses sitting empty. It's absolutely untenable to have hundreds of state houses lying empty while there are families who just want a decent roof over their heads. Well, I think he needs to look very carefully at why those state houses are vacant, uh, whether they're in the right place, they're the right size, or whether they're affected by things like methamphetamine contamination. Uh, So again, you know, talk's cheap. 6% of people on that state housing 
waiting list describe themselves as homeless. But the situation is improving in other areas. In the last quarter, over 500 more people were placed in temporary emergency accommodation. And that led to a reduction in government spending on emergency grants. And there's this message for the new government. It's essential that they get close to the ground. A big challenge for the new government and for those wanting a roof over their heads. So that's, uh, you know, clearly the government, those state housing figures are from when the past government was still in power. So there's, you know, it's whether we'll see a change in them when if the new government starts making any moves in housing or whether it's naturally going to start, as we're seeing, a flattening out in Auckland anyway, whether the situation's going to right itself a bit. But Phil Twyford's promise, for instance, to build 2,000 new state houses, there's a lot of ifs and buts and how are you going to do that and all I of that and how quickly can you do I that don't and how can you, I don't how can you do how can you do this yeah. Kiwi Build in itself is massively ambitious and you've already had Treasury and the Reserve Bank expressing reserves about it the private sector isn't on board with it I, I don't understand now why he's going to promise an extra 2,000 state like who's going to build these houses and where and how they go, how quickly can they happen those are the questions well, just, all of this is, is yeah, the, is, yeah. I, what Westpac said in their note this week um, so they don't think that even if you put factor in Kiwi build on you know the extra build that you'll actually see the what they call the value of all building activity won't increase so the amount because there's only so much resource to go around to build all these houses. Mm. But what they are pointing to is they think the makeup of the houses will be different. There'll be much, be a lot more smaller houses. A lot of so townhouses. So you will get more houses. Yeah. 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 But, and what, that's what's needed. But that's the affordable one, not the big million yeah. dollar mansion. But that's what so we're seeing in Hobsonville and in South directed. Auckland and in, in, in a lot of these new big developments. You know, in Weymouth and out there, mm. they are townhouses, and basically how those developers are building them. And I've been out um, with the previous government quite a bit out to lot these developments. Is they're building different sizes, so you can get a sixty square metre for your first home, two or three bedroom. They're small, but some, they're still getting into a house. They're nice, new. They're done well. They're built well. Or and above that is a much bigger, is a is yeah. hundred and twenty square metre, so that people can actually choose what they want. That's what he's got to focus on. Twyford has to focus on affordable houses only. Yeah, you maximise the land by doing that. But even given that, it's still seems like a fairy tale you know no one believes that they can actually deliver it so I think I think they're gonna have to start laying out more detail more of the plan more of the finances what the agency's going to look like you know is it going to be how are they going to work with the public public private you know it is a PPP essentially you know because they're going to leave it up and to they're the going to be judged on this one yeah. Boy. well it was the it was the defining issue of mm. the election campaign and of the last couple of years and they made huge promises so and they, how many of these houses are actually going to be he seems to be saying that they're going to take in houses that were almost already being built. So when you talk about 100,000 new houses, well, how many of those were going to be built anyway? Oh, no, they've got to claim. They've got to, and they've so got to they're going to claim, the they're going to pick up ones. a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so the, the amount that will actually be new houses is probably going to be quite So there's going small. to be, yeah, there's going to be a lot of numbers thrown at us. You know, you can imagine over the next couple of yeah, years. Yeah, but they, but they, I mean, they can't get away with that. I mean, they promised these extra homes, so they can't they can't include what National has already built or had in planning. They promised the extra homes. And then you've 10 got the years, issue so of and no of way the will we let them get away with it. that? You know, with immigration and the workers to do it. I know they've got a Kiwi Build visa on the pipeline, yeah. don't yes. they? Yeah, yeah. They're gonna. There's only so much capacity to build more houses in New Zealand. Absolutely. We don't have that much. No.
No one and, 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 then, and and you know you think the focus is so much on Auckland and, and quite rightly but actually if you look at Wellington where house prices are the only area really where they seem to still be going up mm. quite you know at quite a large rate quite a high rate there's nowhere in Wellington to build houses mm. there, we need more houses being built in Wellington there's no rentals here there's, so while you focus on Auckland the rest of the country gets left behind in that issue and, there are and there's the, no talk of those houses being built here there's the infrastructure issues as well how they're going to um, provide the infrastructure to cope yeah. with all these new yeah. houses, who's going to pay for that? Are ratepayers going to pay for it? Are the people local to these new housing developments? Is it fair that they have to pay more? You know, well, huge those issues. targeted rates, I have uh, talked to Phil Twyford about that, those targeted rates that had been talked about with that National had been, you know, to pay in for things like water and so forth and some of those big new developments, the developers paying for them and so forth. Labour is still willing to look at a lot of those, uh, those issues as well. Infrastructure bonds... Um, is something they are really keen on as well. Overseas investors. I think you see the super funded so, in there as well. Yeah, so I think I think they are willing to look at options when it comes to that. And despite the fact they say they don't want any more PPPs, it well, is it being is done with a, the private it sector. Has to so be of a course, PPP. and they're reliant yeah. on them. And they're reliant what on they're going to learn, isn't it? That these, that these, the problem of housing was created over a very long period of time, and the solution takes a very long period of time. And mm. they're going to learn that it's very hard to deliver instant gains. But they didn't manage those expectations, to use a PR no. term in the election campaign. No, they promised it all, and now they have to deliver all. They do. And on a slight tangent, but how is the America's Cup going to actually affect what happens in Auckland? All of a sudden, are we going to see the airport rail link built, or other big roading or rail projects come to yeah. fruition in time for the America's Cup, that for years have been said they weren't going to happen? Well, there, now you're going to have there a is huge an issue development in, in that. There, with Phil... Like Phil Twyford has housing and also transport, two massive portfolios. Yeah, huge I mean, portfolios. Is it was it really a wise idea to give them both? You know, maybe he should have. I think I'd say this about Phil. Though. He is, well, they he do is a guy who's on a mission, and mm. he is probably the he's the right guy if, because he's got the. I mean, he's driven, right? You know, he is he is he is going to, but he needs to do whatever it takes to get stuff done. I have no doubt he's going <laughs> to move heaven and earth to make it happen. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's a huge ask to have transport as well. I think he needs to be really careful with with the over promising and under delivering mm. because he he seems to be saying a lot of different things to different people about what can be done mm. or what he wants to do. And and I think this is as we have talked a bit about in the past couple of months. But but when you become a minister, it's a lot harder than when you're in opposition. And I think all of a sudden when you're getting that advice from well, we've seen plenty of that in the last And he needs month, to be very careful about mm. how those promises and what he keeps telling people because we are watching, we are listening. Well, they're already rolling <laughs> right. back. Well, I mean, we've seen... Yeah, and we already seen... You know, I wouldn't say massive flip-flops, but they're just... Yeah, we would. Okay, we'll say some flip-flops. We love flip-flops and U-turns <laughs> and back down. They, well, immigration, I mean, that takes rolling, us into immigration. They're trying to roll things back a little bit at times, yeah. aren't they? I mean, you got the... There was... I mean, some of them were just, you know, Nash jumped the gun on a, on an Amazon tax, the GST tax, and then Robertson was like, oh, no, 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 we'll put that in the working group and we're not really well, that, that. I mean, that, Nash just made a throwaway comment on Newstalk ZB about it, and then, of course, everyone, we ran around Parliament trying to follow him, and this is how that, that played out last week, is everyone went, oh, what? Okay, we want to grab Stuart Nash on, on these comments, get more details Well, throwaway comment, but he, he must have he presumably thought... He said he'd thought... come in front of the media and didn't turn up. And and he obviously thought he'd obviously had briefing papers. He thought let's push on yep. with this. National's done the work, mm-hmm. but he didn't talk to us. To and grass. that's the difference between an opposition and and government. And they're still, I guess, they're still finding their feet. Maybe I mean, you know, they're still on a honeymoon. They're still learning, as you say. It's only three, yeah. four weeks in the job, so maybe we do have to cut them a little bit snack, but slack. But as we'll see in Katie's next track, um, there's been a few U-turns <laughs> in the last week or so. 
Australian tourists enjoying the Auckland sunshine, and that's just one of their reasons for visiting. People are good. The country's great. The sights are good. We wanted to come overseas and uh, this was the obvious choice. It's the scenery, um, the climate and the scenery. Fantastic, could move here tomorrow. Statistics New Zealand figures show more than three and a half million tourists visited our shores in the last year, a new record. At the same time, migration levels remain high. Annual net migration has been on the rise. Two years ago it was 62,000. It peaked in July this year, before slightly dropping off in the year to October. The big factor that's driven migration in recent years has been people coming over on temporary visas. Those are things like people coming over on student visas or temporary work visas. Those people are now departing and we're likely to see those departures continuing to rise over the next couple of years. Labor vowed in opposition to slash immigration by 20 to 30,000 a year, but now not so keen to put a number on it. We're not fixated on numbers. We are interested in making adjustments to our immigration system that make the system work better for migrants and for New Zealand. But there will be a review of the immigration settings. The minister says he expects to make changes to visa requirements, but what those are and who will be affected won't be known until the first half of next year. I'm not feeling any pressure at all. In fact, um, what people uh, say, have said to me in all my portfolios is that they'd rather we do it right than we do it fast. And with that, economists are sending a warning to the government. Net migration's delivered a powerful boost to demand recently, but as those flows slow, it'll dampen demand and growth in the economy. No sign of that big drop in demand yet though, with New Zealand still proving as popular as ever. So, I mean, immigration and housing are tied in terms mm. of the big issues facing this government and the big challenges facing the government and two big issues that they, you know, in opposition really pushed national on and, and again... They have gone so very soft and very quiet And all of a sudden immigration is, mm. you know, I've done, uh, over the past few weeks, I've done story about the migrant, stories on the migrant exploitation, what they're going to do there, on student visas, what they're going to do there. And migrant exploitation, you know, it, boosting the labour inspection and so forth, That's that seems an easy... Yeah, move for the government sense. to do makes sense. They can do it quite quickly, as long as there's enough money for it. Um, the student visas are a lot harder, and and cutting immigration and on those two issues, that's where Ian Lees Galloway has some. Well, you can imagine the export industry, billion dollar industry, they're going to be pushing back really hard. Everyone's going to be pushing. Business is going to be pushing back really hard. Absolutely, but this is this is the the education the industry is pushing back massively already. Of course, but. This is the problem with using immigration as a as a political it's issue in an election. I mean, it's, it's an intellectually bankrupt argument. And then you, when you ignore the data, the data had always predicted that um, immigration was going to fall drastically, that we were at the peak. And when you make these promises and you, um, you know, make these emotive arguments on the election campaign, then when you get into government and you suddenly realise that you got it so badly wrong. I don't know, I feel like Winston Peters and Jacinda Ardern and Andrew Little and Ian Lee's Galloway should apologise to those to the people that felt marginalised and isolated by those arguments by targeting immigration. There's no question. I mean, we, we have not heard anything from Winston on immigration for a long time. No. He, yeah. he was railing against it six months ago, because talking about 10,000. He wanted it down to 10,000. And then in the coalition agreement, there's no mention of any targets or because anything. Because it was never an issue. It was never a problem. And because in regional New Zealand, they're desperate. They, told they said to they, Winston when he went round on his tour, please do not cut immigration because we yeah, need we the need, we need Absolutely. They need people. And mm -hmm. and it came to that same problem. And Ian Lees Galloway was talking about it yesterday again, pushing that thing, we want a new we want new regional visas. And I think what we'll see is a, real, is a big focus on trying to get those regional skilled visas 
was boosted to get people to move there. But people well, don't. Want, that's the this irony. Is the the, the party and there's that, no jobs. There's no houses. I mean, you know. But the the party that that used the argument of immigration in the election campaign exploited it. Now instead of having to cut immigration, it's no, going they're going to have to attract immigrants so, to New Zealand. So as you just said, so you're going to have and the Kiwi Bill visa. You're going to have the reg, a boosted regional skills visa. <laughs> you're actually going to be bringing in more people. But as they say, it's the right people for what New Zealand needs. It's the right migration policy. But is what the, the language New Zealand is now using. less attractive to people from overseas because the world been, economy is picking up. It it's is. so far away. You know, the economic growth in New Zealand is predicted to go soft next year. So New Zealand isn't such, suddenly such a hot place to, to migrate to. So nice one, guys. <laughs> the big thing will be Australia. I mean, I agree with that. The world economy is picking up. It is getting stronger. And so that is good. You would think that would would mean our cycle. So what's happened in New Zealand, we always have, a, we've had traditionally a boom cycle. Mm. It's gone on way longer than normal. It's got to come. All the economists are saying it's going to go down from 70 down to about 10 by 2021. Yeah, but they said, they've been saying that for the last they two have, or three they years. That was always that. the trend. But the, but those factors you're talking about, the, glo- the global economy was weak, but it has recovered in the mm. last year or so. It's Australia, though, has the biggest impact on us. And if the Australian economy is showing reasonable signs of recovery, mm-hmm. but they are not brilliant, um, that's what affects it, us the most. Absolutely. If they and start and Australia taking is, off, then is, our, our numbers will drop quickly. Absolutely. And Australia has always been much more attractive to... To Im- to immigrants, it's got way more to offer. So. And so, as, as Kiwis over there, you know, not coming not coming back to New Zealand, which we have seen them do, so that that'll stop. That'll and stop. I, I think interesting those the statistics yesterday showing the number of, as they put it, non New Zealand citizen residents leaving is what's contributing mm. to that slow decrease. So those are people on student visas or temporary visas. So those are the ones who all came here a few years ago, mm. flocked in. That Labor have been complaining about essentially. Yep. Uh, they are now their visas are running out. And they're going home, or they can't get jobs, or they're not being given visas because it has national did tighten well, up the criteria. And they've been made to so, feel like they're not and welcome. They're not, yeah, and they and they maybe it hasn't been the the you know the dream they thought it no. was. And no, so, well, especially if they're trying to find accommodation those, in somewhere like Queenstown. Yeah, or Queenstown or Auckland. And there's yeah. no and and that there's not height the low wage jobs and I love high I love the there's just no and so Labor's Labor will be sitting back going okay if we just wait six months these numbers are going to go down and we won't exactly. have to do anything but, but no but the, I love the delicious irony though is that neither they're going to have to work out how to attract people to yeah. fill all these jo- to fill these construction industry jobs to fill these tourism jobs because obviously tourism numbers keep climbing so I love yeah, it because the bigger I mean it, good luck with that one the, the longer term and talking the industry into the longer term economic worry is that is that that with unemployment at four point six percent? Of course, you just suddenly get you do actually finally get that just rolls off your tongue. We finally do get some wage inflation, yeah, yeah, and it's wage inflation which would potentially lead to interest rates sooner rather than later, mm. and that's that's where there would be some concern. That's certainly the concern in the US and place like that. Don't and forget, that higher interest rates would change the ball game completely. Absolutely. Well, the, and this ignores although the the seventy thousand needs those young people who aren't in employment. You know that the, we actually haven't heard Labor talking much about that, about what they're going to do with those people who are actually the ones they should be working on getting trained up and getting, mm. getting, getting them to move to the regions, getting them to go out places. And mm. actually, you know, this is a, this was a huge challenge for National. It's always a, a big challenge, but those are actually the people as well. Well, they have that they have that policy, that election policy, didn't they, of putting them into volunteer yeah. work? Yeah. Con- Department of Conservation. We haven't really. Yeah, well, heard Shane anything. Jones is out there doing stuff, isn't he? He's got, I spoke to him yesterday. They start planting some trees. Planting He's trees. a billion trees. Yeah. Planted, exactly, so. <laughs> but yeah, we haven't we haven't heard anything on that. That wasn't no. in their hundred day plan. No, no, so. so there's been nothing nothing around that. Right. Oh well, we'll look forward to that. The um, other big one, Pike River. Yes, 
seven years. Uh, amazing to think that it was seven years. You, you and I were both there, weren't we, Andrea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can't, can't believe it's seven, seven years, years ago. ago. Yeah, it's, it, was it, was a, a, it was an event that... Um, oh, shivers down my spine thinking about that mm. week, actually. It was a hell of a week. At the mine entrance, rescuers are at the ready. But with 27 miners unaccounted for, fears are growing. Mines Rescue uh, have been mobilised and are currently formulating a plan to re-enter the mine. Obviously, uh, first ensuring that it is safe to do so. These pictures into our newsroom just half an hour ago. No one has heard from the miners since an explosion around four o'clock today. Remnants of the blast are obvious. What caused the explosion is not. There has to be an accumulation of methane gas. If it was a gas explosion, and there has to be a source of ignition. The explosion was discovered by an electrician who went into the mine to investigate a power cut. It's now feared that if the miners are still alive, that power outage could be compromising ventilation. Going into a mine like that after the power's been off for two, three hours requires staff to, well, the mines rescue people to make sure it's safe for them before they can go in and, and look for our people. Two miners did reach the surface unaided after the blast. And those men have been treated uh, for various uh, minor injuries and I'm not sure what the extent of those are. Uh, one of the men has been interviewed and he was the one that has confirmed that we've had a, an explosion underground. Uh, he, was, uh, he, rang the mine from, he rang the surface from underground at about 10 past four and then he made his way to the surface with one of his workmates. But the rest are still unaccounted for. Family, friends and locals now gathering at the site. Pike River coal mine is a tunnel, which unlike a shaft mine is horizontal. It's thought that could make a rescue easier. We haven't given up hope at all. We haven't given up hope, but it's a serious situation. A sentiment shared by the whole town and everyone watching. Going into the Pike River mine should be completed in 16 months. The government a short time ago revealed a goal of re-entry by March 2019. It's also committed up to $23 million towards the operation to retrieve the bodies of the 29 men killed seven years ago. The move's a key part of the Labour New Zealand First Coalition Agreement. For more, let's go now live to political editor Corin Dan at Parliament. Corin. Good evening, Simon. Yes, that $23 million over three years will go to the establishment of the Pike River Recovery Agencies. That, that's a standalone government uh, agency which will oversee this process. That'll be set up in January next year with the aim of getting in by March 2019. Now, the government did say today they cannot give a cast-iron guarantee that they will get back into the mine because if new safety concerns were to arise, they would have to take those into consideration. Now, National Tonight is saying that amounts to them winding back their earlier promises both before the election and after the election about that commitment to go in. But Jacinda Ardern at post-Cabinet this afternoon insisted that there had been no backing away from their promise. We're giving them the commitment we're going to do everything within our power to try. And that's all they've ever asked of us. Of course, they've always had competing evidence against what has been provided by the last government that told them that an entry was possible. Um, we've committed to establishing an agency to see that through. But what we've both committed to together is that safety is a priority. OK, the Prime Minister there, Corin, but who makes the final decision whether to go in or not? 
Yes, there will be a chief executive of this new agency, and interestingly, there'll be no suspension of health and safety laws, as, as was uh, suggested uh, by Labor in opposition. Now, it will be Andrew Little. He will be the minister responsible. Now, he will have to collect an enormous amount of information and data over the next year or so, and is going to have to make a big, big call as to what to do. Have a listen to him today. In the end, the decision will come back to me as minister. I'll have the benefit of the advice from the agency. Their advice will have been peer-reviewed, and I will have an independent advisor to me as well as minister so that all those checks and balances are provided. What about the Pike River families, Corin? What's been their reaction tonight? Uh, they are very pleased about this decision. I think in particular they are pleased about the urgency that this has been part of the government's uh, first 100 days of, of action. Uh, but what I uh, sense is they are most pleased about is the transparency then that they will be involved heavily in the establishment of this agency and any decision making around whether that uh, it is safe to go back in. Uh, the government uh, is adamant that the families will be fully uh, consulted and briefed as this process goes on. So we had the memorial, and then so Andrew Little handing the keys back to the mm, road, which yeah. was a pretty interesting, you know, and, 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 and nice gesture from him. I thought um, my main takeaway, horrible term, sorry, from the from the uh, the, the new uh, Pike River Recovery Agency, which has been set up, twenty three million dollars. They followed through on all their promises. Just the, the language from this from Labor has just been softened a little bit and there's a little bit more of a realism that safety could still be a factor and they may not be able to deliver on their promise to get in. Well, I know this is kind of a theme for me, but it wasn't one an <laughs> another one of those promises that played on emotions in the election campaign. It and it was cynical and it was political and I, I actually thought it was kind of disgraceful. I, and now they're realising the reality that national face. They pilloried national they did. for and their stance, but they're actually realising that it, it isn't going to be that easy. And probably in the end, those families are going to be let down again. I think the difference is, is the families are feel, fee, feeling like they are being listened to. And that's the feedback I've had from the families, is they are actually happy because they felt left out of the process. Absolutely. So as long as they're included in the process and they feel like they're being consulted, they will feel they may yeah. come to terms until, more with what happens. Well, yes, or until, until they're told they the, can't. But until, because their expectations and their um, feelings about what's safe and what's not safe are m widely different from the general from public the and from the experts. And in the end, the politicians are going to have to make the final decision. And it probably isn't going to be the decision that the families want. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, in it. the short time, it was it was a very savvy political move by Andrew Little. But in reality, I don't think it's going to make it well, any think, easier for the I think families. that Andrew Little has done a good job, like Katie says, of making sure that the families are going to be involved right through. And that has helped and that they are, they have been assured that they will be involved in the decision-making process. It's Andrew Little's decision at the very end, so he's going to be the one who makes the final call. He said he's going to get all this information. There'll be a CEO of this agency. They'll basically prepare a case. They'll take it to him. He has to make that call, massive yeah, call that call. he will have to make. But you're right. I, I, I was sitting there listening to him announce it, and I could just sort of see that you, you could get to a point where, yeah, the families have been involved all the way through, and the, but, they, but they still end up being opposed in that, the, that there's um, advice to the government that says no it's not safe and then they've got their advice that says yes it is safe and so while national while national stance did seem harsh and callous you know it was based on a practical reality and yet I mean it was disgusting that they were locked out of the road and yep. Andrew Little had to hand the keys back but in the end after all of this we're probably going to come back and have the same answer to the same point again so you know and that's I, uh, he's given himself a 
boy, what a call that Andrew Little might have to make. But one that day. is why you do not campaign on political issues. Like you don't make it political like that. That's why you don't do that. An emotional you, issue like absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. it doesn't make for the right decisions in the end. Fair enough. Yeah. On that note, All right. that's us for this week. That is us. Uh, great to have you with us again. This was Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. It's generally available every Friday morning on the One News Facebook page, SoundCloud, and check us out on iTunes. See you next week. Ciao.